Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. This uh, kind of in-between Sunday, between Christmas and New Year's, is kind of a, usually is a, is a one-off uh, uh, sermon, right? Where, where we, because we're never sure who's going to show up and whether they're going to be paying attention or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but we've decided this, this uh, it, it, to take the sermon that Darren began last week and kind of divide it in, in two, to take this, uh, I, I, I would think if there's any story that Jesus told that, that gathered up the core of his heart, the core of his message, it would be the stories that we've been sitting with last week and this week. This is a season for us to really think about the real Jesus, not the Jesus of the, you know, the television specials or the Jesus of maybe our childhood or the Jesus of uh, what I call magic Jesus, the, the sideshow Jesus, the, the various Jesuses that have been proliferated and, and sometimes represented by, by his, his disciples. But who is the real Jesus? What does it mean to step into relationship with him? What does it mean to follow him into the kingdom that he makes available for us? What does that actually mean? Uh, and, and we've been using the lens of some of the stories that he has told, the parables, and you'll notice, of course, that Jesus uh, is, is less interested in asking, excuse me, in giving us answers than he is in telling us stories. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, part of the reason is you can't argue with a story. Uh, if you have anybody, though, who asks you questions to whom you then provide answers, what is going to be met next? As soon as you give an answer, there will be a follow-up question, which you will answer, and then there will be another, but what if, right? So Jesus rarely does that. Instead, he invites us into the narrative, into the story of, of, of his journey. And this story that we'll look at today, part two of the one that began last week, uh, is probably the heart of, of his gospel. Because it un- unpacks how it is possible for someone to almost take up residence in the house of the Father and still not know the heart of the Father. And that's a danger for any of us who have come to the house of the Father. It gets to the heart, I would argue, of Jesus' compassion for us all. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Darren did last week, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with Star Wars. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's what happens. Um, but the setup of this story is, is um, Probably the, the, the one that we feel most comfortable with, the story of the prodigal, right, who, who, who comes home and finds a place of refuge and restoration and, and uh, finds, a, finds, a, finds a home again, right? And that certainly is an important part of the story. But I'm going to argue today 
that, that while that is a critical part of the story, the second part of the story, which we'll look at here in just a second, is, I think, where Jesus is going. Because you will have noticed something. It does not take you very long, especially for those of us who have been disciples of Jesus for a little while, to become the elder brother. Right? It, it, actually, my ca- rough calculation is 10 minutes. You, you come home, you find a place, and you find that this is where I belong, and then all of a sudden you become the judger of those who come in after you. And you form opinions about how rapidly they're making progress in their journey. Does that, just, just me? Okay, so this is a sermon for me this morning. You're welcome to listen in. Let's, let's look at the text. We're in John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15, the story of the so-called prodigal son, which we discover is really the story of the prodigal father. The father whose heart is so, so great, so massive, so huge that there's room for embarrassment in his love. So he begins, and I'm going to set it up with the first two verses, if I can read through the stars here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were murmuring, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that's the first kind of introductory paragraph that sets up the story. And as you'll remember, perhaps it's three stories. After this, Jesus tells the story of the man who is a shepherd and loses one of a hundred sheep. And then um, uh, uh, goes out, searches in the possibility that he might find that sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he, he gathers up the sheep, bloody, bruised, broken, wraps him around his neck and carries him not back to the flock, but into the center of town where in the middle of the night he wakes everybody up to celebrate, to enter into joy because of the discovery of this sheep that was lost and is now found. And then he tells the story of a woman who had 10 coins, the coins that were the markers of her dowry. Uh, In traditional sense, they were literally her life insurance. Those 10 coins gave her a measure of security should something happen to the marriage that she was engaged in at the moment. And because women were among the most vulnerable in that culture, It was critical for her to hang on to these coins because if she got divorced, if she was divorced, if she was literally put out with the trash one morning, she at least had some security that would enable her to avoid a life perhaps of prostitution or of enslavement or of some other form. So losing one of those 10 coins was not simply an oops. It, it, it was a heart-dropping moment. And so she scours the house. She, she opens up all the doors and the windows. She sweeps. She lifts things. She looks behind things. And there, when she discovers the coin, invites all of her friends to gather together and celebrate with her that she has found her life again. And then Jesus tells this story. And uh, it goes this way. Go ahead, Alyssa. Thank you. Jesus continued then. This is the third story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided his property between them. Not long afterward, the younger son got together all that he had and head off for a distant country and there squandered the wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I will go back to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So... He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Go ahead. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a finger ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he's heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Incredible story, right? And again, the focus here, while we see the parts played by the younger and elder brothers, the focus is on, on, the, on the heart of the father. So let's go back up. And again, I would suggest that this elder son is really the reason the parable gets told in the first place. The, the setup here is that tax collectors and uh, sinners are coming together with Jesus. Can we go ahead and put that first one up, please? The tax collectors, no, right at the beginning. 
Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but Pharisees and scribes, uh, teachers of the law, were muttering, this man um, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Um, This is what Pharisees and scribes were supposed to do. They were the guardians of Judaism. They were the ones who they believed God had called to establish Judaism as a pure religion devoted to God. And so their task was, their job was, to evaluate and critique uh, any new teaching that came along for whether it fit into Orthodox Judaism. Because the belief was that if all of Israel worshipped God purely for one day, Messiah would return. And the glory would descend again and be available to Israel uh, going forward. So they they were a, a pretty big deal. They had arisen during the intertestamental period as part of the captivity in Babylon. We've talked about that before. And and their goal was that they had come to the conclusion correctly that Israel was in prison in Babylon because they had begun worshiping other gods. So the Pharisees took it upon themselves to make sure that Israel didn't do that anymore. Right? So they were highly respected. These were were not uh, objects of ridicule. These were people who were highly regarded in the culture and whose opinions carried great weight. If you wanted to know whether any given behavior was appropriate to the kind of pure Judaism that was being taught, you went to a Pharisee who would give you an answer. So so these guys were highly... so, So all they're doing here, like we've said before, is their job. There's this new itinerant rabbi in town, and and he's gaining a following. And the question is, is is he orthodox? Does he fit in? Does the God that he is speaking of as his father, which is a big red flag right there, comport with the God of Israel? And, and so they are murmuring. This is not a negative murmuring. It's just a conversation. They're talking back and forth. You see what's happening. Look, he's welcoming sinners. He's welcoming tax collectors. Not only that, he's eating with them. What's up with that? A good rabbi would never do that because those are them. Those are, those are not us. Those are them. And we want to keep as clear as possible a line of uh, demarcation between the us's and the them's. As soon as, you, as soon as you start welcoming people like that, as soon as you start legitimizing their existence by eating with them, well, the game's over, isn't it? All of this contamination of these tax collectors and sinners. Sinners, remember, are people who have missed the mark. You don't want to be hanging out with those people because it will not be long. Psalm 1 is very clear. If you start listening to sinners, where are you going to find yourself? You're going to find yourself heading down the wrong road. So, so we, we need, we, we, the, the, clearly, he's out of line here. He's out of line here. And so Jesus tells the story. Not of a shepherd, but of a father. Not of a woman, but of his father. And then of this father. 
who, whose, whose son comes to him one day as the, as the youngest one, go ahead to the next, uh, next slide, and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I know you covered this, so I'm just going to snapshot this really quickly. The estate was not held in stocks and bonds and bank accounts. The estate was held in property. In order to enable this request to be fulfilled, the father would have had to sell ancestral lands that had been in the family for generations that was their security into the future. He would have had to liquidate property to give his son the request that he had. His son was wishing him dead. So the father does this. Can you believe it? What kind of laughingstock, irresponsible father is this? That's the point, right? And so the father, and, and, and of course, what you expect to happen, happens. The boy doesn't have two brain cells to rub together. And so he gets the money, and what does he do? He spends it like a drunken sailor. Why? Because he's a drunken sailor, that's why goes off and he blows it and and then of course as 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 the judgment of God falls his decline is met with the decline of the country he's in and they both find themselves at the bottom of the pit and that is marked for a good Jewish audience by the fact that this boy now begins to work for a pig farmer remember orthodox Judaism is opposed to bacon on the hoof. You, you with me? So, 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 and then, so, so here's this guy. He's gotten to the bottom of the barrel, and what does he do? He gets out a pickaxe and starts to dig lower. Right? And then one day, it says, he came to his senses. Now, please notice, this doesn't mean he was sorry about what he had done. It means that he woke up and realized where he was. There's no repentance here. There's no turn of heart here. There is a survival instinct that is kicked in. You with me? And so he says, I, have, I, I, know, I, I know where I can go. And in the telling of the story, you can hear the audience begin to take in their breath because they know what's coming next. The father is known better, we're going to find out, by the younger son who left than by the older son who stayed. Because the younger son knows that he can take advantage of the heart of his father. Did you catch this? I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to say, Father, and right away the old man will be putty in my hands. That's all he's ever wanted from me. To acknowledge him as father. And you can hear him now practicing his lines. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called and on and on. These are not the lines of repentance. These are the lines of negotiation. His heart hasn't changed. He just doesn't want to starve to death. And for the father, that's good enough. Once we get the boy back home, it's possible that love might change his heart. And so he welcomes him. He restores him. He gives him a ring on his finger. He gives him a robe. 
wrapped around his shoulders. And this is where we were last week. How many of you identify with that younger son? I, I, I think we all do at some level, right? I just, I, oh man, and, and especially when you screw something up, right? I want a father like that. I want a father who I can take advantage of. All right, all right, right? Because we, we and, and, the, and the fact is, he knew the heart of his father. He knew the heart of his father. That his father would, in fact, receive him. And, of course, this is the embarrassment. The father did, in fact, receive him. You can hear the gossip in the general store as the news gets out that the boys come home and that he has a home to come to. So that's where we were last week, more or less, plus some Star Wars references, which were (laughs) egregious. Meanwhile, the older son, who's clueless to all of this, is in the field. And what is he doing there, by the way? He's working. For whom? For the father. He's in the field doing the father's will. Doing what the father required of him. And he comes home and discovers the music and dancing. So he calls out to one of the servants and says, what's going on? Your brother's come home. And as you might expect, your father has killed a fattened calf because he, he's welcoming him back. Celebrating. Notice what happens next. The text says, the older brother became angry. We don't often think of it this way, but anger is a gift that needs to be calibrated. Uh, Anger is the emotion that God gives us to help us recognize when a boundary has been violated. Physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. Anger is the, the, the red light on the dashboard that starts to flash, that lets us know somebody had said something or done something that was a boundary violation. Now, here's the problem. Anger is the red light. It's not the solution. It's the indicator that a boundary has been violated, but love and joy, the other two primary emotions, have to now teach us how to respond. Does that make sense? And so, you'll, so you'll, you'll, you'll notice that Jesus, I don't ever want to become the kind of person who can't get angry. But I do want to become the kind of person who knows how and when to become angry. Jesus never got angry on his own behalf. But he did get angry on behalf of the disenfranchised, those who had no voice, those whose boundaries were regularly violated but had no recourse. Children, women. Gentile, lepers, tax collectors, sinners, and on and on the list goes. You see what's going on? So here's the elder brother standing in, if you will, for the Pharisees and the 
scribes who become angry because they think this father, like this son thinks, this father has violated a boundary. He's crossed a line. This is not how you treat these younger sons. If you keep on rewarding their irresponsibility, they're just going to learn irresponsibility. This is no way to change the behavior of the younger profligate son. Can I get a witness? We need justice. That's what we need. And particularly for other people. Right? Because that's the only way they're going to learn. That's the only way they're going to learn. If you keep on sloppy compassion, what's going to happen? Just as predictably as this story, they're going to take advantage of that sloppy compassion. Compassion has to have its limits. I mean, it, any reasonable person would recognize that. Amen? Thank you. That's what happens. And, 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 and so the, he, 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 all these years, he says. Anybody else feel, feel the heart of this guy? It's just like, what the heck? All these years I've been slaving for you. Listen to the language. All these years I've been slave. Oh, wait. He doesn't see himself as a son at all. He sees himself as a slave. Oh, this isn't going to end well. All these years I've been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Hmm. Then you can hear the little bit of a snarl. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Hmm. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many know how this guy's feeling? Boy, doesn't it just tick you off when undeserving people get things they don't deserve? And what's worse, they don't get what they do deserve. Doesn't that just tick you off? Right? I want bad things to happen to bad people. <laughs> just me? No, of course not. Because it's the only way we're going to save the world. And he goes and hears the father's heart. You hear the tears in the first two words? My son. Even though the son has viewed himself as the slave of the father, the father still views him as his son. Can I just insert a moment here? It's important that you and God agree about who you are to him. It's important, my son. You oh, are always with me. Everything I have is yours. 
So again, please, please notice this. This, this, this. this is an embarrassment. Not only does the father embrace the runaway son when the runaway comes home, but when the father, in the middle of his celebration, becomes aware that his son is leaning outside, shoulder turned against the tree of resentment, the father goes out to the son and begs him to join in his joy. That's an embarrassment. Everything I have is yours. You are always with me. The question is not whether the son's with the whether, whether the father is with the son, but whether the son is with the father. Does he get, in the middle of managing all the father's stuff, does he get the heart of the father? And you know, you know what, you know, you could have told me at the beginning where this was going. But this has just gripped my heart this week. Because I want so much to identify with that prodigal son. Right? I want to, but truth, I find myself, and especially the older I get, the easier it is to have a sense of pride, of position. I mean, you know my story, some of you. I, I, I was saved out of a life of sin and degradation at the age of four and a half. I was raised in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school. I know I have all of the flannel graph images. Right? And so I, I, and, and, and I got to be honest. There's a sense of, of spiritual pride in that heritage, in that lineage. And I, and I love it when prodigals come home because then I get to feel superior. Oh, wait, that, that, can I get those words back? Of course, no, no, we're glad to welcome the younger brother. You sit at the children's table. I'm glad to welcome the rebellion back home. And just because I, I can use, I can use rebellion to control behavior. I can use shame to manage how people ought to meet my expectations. I can, I can, this thumb can get pretty big if as long as I can keep people under it. Probably the 915 crowd, but, because we, we do that, we, and here's the deal, here's the deal. You don't have to have been a disciple of Jesus for 55 years like I have. Do you notice how I just slipped that in there? Ten minutes is all it takes before you begin to feel superior to those who come in next. Before you begin to have a little bit of a, well, what took you so long? Before you begin to have a little bit of a spiritual superiority. Before you begin to have a bit of spiritual envy at the celebration for the newbies. Where's my party? 
You didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. And you can hear the heartbreak of the father. All that I have is yours. You're always with me. And the tragedy is in this moment, the father got it wrong. The son was never with the father. He viewed himself as a slave. He viewed himself with white knuckle, teeth clenched obedience, duty. Duty is my middle name. I'll do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And he has mistaken duty for love. Now, please don't get me wrong. Love obeys. But obedience isn't always love. You catch the, you catch the, it's massive for us elder brothers. Massive for us. So Jesus tells this story and invites us. And, 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 and we're thinking about this, you know, how, how, how is it possible? Think about this. For those of you who were gathered around a Christmas tree a couple of days ago, right? Which is probably most of us. And, and you saw, especially little kids, this is because they're, they're, they're guileless. You, what you see is what you get kind of thing. When you get to be older, you learn how to hide in your body. But little kids can't hide in their bodies. So when, when they get something they really want, what do they do? You can see them vibrating and they become the latest YouTube sensation, right? With, 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 right next to the guys with the hoverboards that are smashing their heads into the concrete. That's a whole other thing. We won't go there. So, 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 so we get that going, going, going on there, right? But the, the, the ones that top them are the elder brothers who having opened up their presents, see what their younger siblings get and have a meltdown because they didn't get as good a gift as those guys got. We're prevented from entering into the joy of the Father because somebody else got something we thought was better than what we got. And remember, that's what these, these three parables are about, right? What's the, what's the attitude of the shepherd when he finds his lost sheep? What does he do? He rejoices. It's a party. When the woman finds the coin that gives her her life back, what does she do? She rejoices. That word joy does not appear in the third parable, but it's all over the place. Here, joy is uncorked in a celebration. The music, the dancing, that embodies the joy that is implicit in stories one and two. Here we're told about the party. Here we're invited into it. Do you see? So joy is the, is the through line of these three stories. How do you miss the joy of the Father? By not knowing the heart of the Father. By not knowing the love of the Father. And especially by feeling resentful of the heart of the Father to those to whom we feel spiritually superior. And it doesn't take long for us to find somebody to whom we feel spiritually superior. I'm making my way through the 12 steps a lot faster than you are. Right? And on and on it goes. 
doesn't take long for us to become the eldest, for us to become the gatekeeper, for us to become the arbiters of appropriate, for us to become... And, and, and notice how zealously we protect our positions when somebody with gifts comes along. No, I'm, I've got that role. Thanks. We'll let you know if there's an opening. You, you, don't, you don't get to do that. It's not your house. Do, do, you, see what I'm, do you see what I mean? He's inviting us into this. And, and unfortunately, this pride of place is as deadly now as it ever was. And in reading through this this week, this, this Phariseeism, I've discovered it fits me like a glove. I'm good at it. Here's how it works with me. I find myself able to be really compassionate with certain types of folks and just brutal with others. And I don't, I don't know why that is exactly. Frankly, I find it easier to be compassionate with people who have never struggled, who, who, who are dealing with stuff that I've never struggled with in, in, in some way. And I find myself rigid and hard with, with, with people to whom I feel spiritually superior because I've overcome whatever it is that they're dealing with. Do, 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 you, know, do, do you know what I mean? I mean... So, so he invites us into this, into this moment. Jesus' understanding of the kingdom, which is what we're after here, Jesus' understanding of the Father is a radical departure for these rule keepers. Nothing wrong with rules as long as the rules are kept out of love. He invites us into this realization that the kingdom is not fair. Grace isn't fair. Grace isn't a limited supply that if the Father is gracious to one, there's less grace available for you. Christmas is the season of unfair joy. Don't miss it just because all the presents aren't for you. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.